Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. You are listening to Red Sea Roundup, and my name is Pam Marvin, your host du jour. This is October 21st, 2020. Well, Thaddeus, you know what? This is a special day for me. You want to know why? Why is that, Pam? Paul and I have been married for 31 years today. This is your anniversary? It is. It's my anniversary. Heck, congratulations. I am excited. I know. I uh, have such a heart and devotion to to marriage and healthy, holy marriages, um, which is indicative of the podcast that Megan and I do too, because we talk about healthy relationships. Tell us about that podcast that you do with Megan (laughs) Silas. It is all centered on Christ, What's first of all, of shoulder, to, of all. Shoulder. shoulder so, to shoulder. Yes. Yeah, so shoulder to shoulder, it gives um, the imagery of friends walking shoulder to shoulder. Um, I also like the football analogy of the the O-line or the, the D-line of shoulder to shoulder going into battle for one another. And I feel like that's a very important part of what we can offer each other as Christians uh, to surround ourselves with beautiful, loving people that are willing to walk in the battle with us. And it all starts with Jesus and cultivating that relationship with Christ. Because when we have a very healthy, holy relationship with Jesus, it spills out everywhere we go. And But I have a special affinity for marriage. So I want to, I want to say, you know, uh, see Paul and I actually been together for 35 years, met in college. Um, but we dated for four years and it's been amazing. It's, it, we, we really defied the odds. I didn't even know that statistically speaking, the odds were against he and I, because we both came from divorced families Mm. And um, I didn't even realize that was an obstacle, but I was very statistically driven, you know, okay, so let's see if you go to church together every Sunday, it increases your chance of staying married. Okay, check. Let's do that. Okay. So if you use natural family planning, it even lowers it even more, the chance of getting divorced. Check. Let's do that. You know, so I had all these like statistical things that I went for that in the early stages. And here we are 31 years later. And, um, it's it's been great. It really is. I mean, marriage, of course, is not easy. It has ups and downs, but as Thaddeus, I'm sure you can speak to, it's one of the most beautifully sanctifying, sacrificial things that you can do for love of one another. And uh, I don't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. I always Absolutely. had that little. I always had that little pining in my heart to love sacrificially. I mean, I think that was just something God put on my heart and. Um, that's what being a parent, being a spouse, it is a sacrificial love. It's beautiful. You know, there was a. A, a guy who uh, who said something about the the love between a man and a woman, and uh, his 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 big day is actually not today; it's coming up tomorrow. Tomorrow, and that would be Pope John Paul II. Mm. And uh, he said, "Love between man and woman cannot be built without sacrifices and self denial." What a beautiful thing! That is we didn't so even true. plan that. Nope, we didn't even plan that, folks. I didn't know that. Today was Pam's 
anniversary. No, and but the Holy Paul Spirit. Marvin, congratulations <laughs> to you too. Exactly. Married to a wonderful lady. <laughs> it's been really awesome. Yeah. Just the, what we've learned too. Like if I could just reflect for a second on things and, and, I, and join you, have you join me in this kind of conversation, um, reflecting on those types of attitudes or, um, little nuggets that perhaps we have about keeping a holy, happy marriage. Um, one of my favorites is, and I even say this in course of my NFP instruction with my young couples that are either newly married or about to be married. I always like to say that, you know, of course there's, there's a third person in the marriage. It's like the, the husband, the wife, and then the Holy Trinity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, doesn't work without that. But I also like to give that kind of another dimension saying that your marriage is um, an entity of itself, like separate from him, separate from her, but is something to be looked at as the health of that marriage to be okay. able to look, to get outside yourself um, and what your emotions and feelings and everything should be and say, look over at this marriage and how are you doing? What are your needs um, and that is, of course, both him and her. But off, that that prayer has been so effective for me to be able to, to go to the Lord and say, Lord, let me see my marriage as this third part as you are. And what is it about it that's hurting? And what is it that needs to be done better? You know, like for overall health, spiritual, physical, all of those things. And I have to say, that's been a, a very objective way for me to look at the marriage to try and keep it healthier. That's that's wonderful. That's a you're, so you're suggesting um, you need to think about the uh, the marriage itself as kind of a garden that you you cultivate. Absolutely. And what what uh, nourishment does it need? What kind of care does it need? Regardless of what my own personal uh, interests biases might be. That's right. My my wounds, as they talk yeah, about. Yeah, sure. My spouses. You know, what, we got to keep this thing going. Right. Keep on trucking. Yeah, that's that's one of mine that I've maintained throughout the years. Um, but there's another thing that being on this end of, you know, 31 years that only life experience can really tell you that it's true and real. And, and what that is, is when you go through difficult times in a marriage and you're literally helping to carry, you're carrying a very heavy cross for whatever purpose it might be. There's just all kinds of things that can go wrong. Usually it's an external force that goes on the marriage um, to really stress it, whether it's finances or business issues, any of those things. And on this side, I can tell you honestly, when you love sacrificially and saying I'm loving in a way, even though my spouse isn't, doesn't look like my spouse right now, like the person I married, but I'm going to love them supernaturally through that and just show up over and over again with love and kindness that those crosses do get lifted. Sometimes it's a year, two years, three years. Mm. It does get lifted. But the fidelity that you've shown during those difficult times builds a deeper bond in your marriage than you can even imagine. I mean, I can sit here and tell you because I'm on the other end. But when you're on an end where you haven't experienced that yet, it's, it's really hard to see. But it's the fidelity to that sacrament um, that just blooms. It's almost as if, you know, God pours even more grace on you after that in the marriage. So I'm like... 
very thankful for that experience. You know, you're thankful for um, all things. Well, what does the the apostle say um, where where sin... uh, where sin, where, where where sin, sin abounds, is, uh, grace abounds even more. That's exactly right. Where sin so, abounds, I mean, grace. Would, yes, absolutely. Stand to reason that that would be the case. Right. And, and, and in some cases, it's really just external pressures that just push us a little too far. Um, and just having to get back to the truth of the matter, which is we have a sacrament and a fidelity to the sacrament and to Christ um, in that matrimony. And it's, you know, the children. The, I can say wholeheartedly that when couples divorce, they put down their cross and their children pick it up. I'll mm-hmm. say that very boldly. Um, yeah. I live that. I still live that. And there's no two ways about it. You can justify it one way or the other, but there's no two ways about it. It, it does happen that way. That's, that's a very important thing to be said. And I'm all about healthy marriages. And I'm so thankful for... Um, St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, that opened up just a whole new world for me as well. Just a beautiful aspect. And oh, some of my favorite encyclicals, let's, let's talk about those. If you've never, if you've never um, been exposed to on human suffering, and you can probably say the Latin. I'm sorry. Say on human suffering, that the Latin. Oh, I'm not remembering the dignitatum, Latin. Dignitatum. I don't know. Can't remember exactly. But his... This probably changed me, and I, I quote it today still. Dignitatis humani? Is that the one you're thinking of? No. I think so. On, that would be no, on that's human dignity. dignity. No. We'll, we'll get but, it. We'll find it. on human out. suffering. On human suffering. So what he said in there that was really mind-blowing, and I think this your faith comes into it a lot to be able to help wrap your mind around it, but what he said was that, and on suffering, That Jesus Christ, while his suffering on the cross was enough for the salvation of the world, left just enough room for the humans to participate in that suffering and therefore the redemption of the world. That blew me away. Mm. I mean, I might be just paraphrasing it, but that's pretty close to what he said. (laughs) But it was just so amazing to me. And that's what, as a convert, helped me to understand the whole offered up, you know, when you're suffering and things are rough, just offered up. Well, what does that mean? That means giving it to Christ as a gift. And they say it relieves him on his cross because he's outside of space and time, right? So when you offer him your sufferings, it comforts him as he hangs on the cross, suffering for all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And John Paul II taught me that. Wow. Well, that's that's great. What a what a great confluence of your your uh, marriage, your faith to your marriage, and the suffering that it inevitably entails. Because you're you know, you're Human. living you're loving someone else for their good, and that requires self sacrifice, and that can be be uh, suffering love sometimes. And then we've got Pope John Paul II's feast day tomorrow. Tomorrow. So so, that's, so what, that's what so is awesome. your you know. Y- we um, recorded yesterday on the podcast, and we talked about cultivating yeah, who friendships. Do we, who do, who do we re- oh, you're talking about the podcast. I thought we, the podcast. you were going to mention that we re- who we recorded with yesterday that's coming we'll, up in the we'll, second part. Yes, we'll do that too. But I'm just going to plug the podcast a little bit more because we do go into a section on cultivating friendships with the saints. And on that note, do you have a favorite memory or quote yourself or a way that John Paul II has really spoken to you, Thaddeus? 
Um, it's hard to narrow it down to to one, you know, quote or saying or. I I think that he um, just his um, his energy mm. and his enthusiasm and his exuberance during his you know pontificate all the all the way to the end. Um, he he gave so much of himself uh, intellectually, physically by tra- you know traveling all over the world, um, emotionally. We got to see him um, suffer through his illness to the end of his life, and do that for for all of us. Um, those are some of the things that I that I take away. Yeah, you know, one of the him. things I heard about him. I'm going to get this a little bit wrong, but you'll get the essence of it. That he was such a brilliant man that he could read a book, and he have someone sit next to him reading another book, and he could actually take in everything while he was reading and someone else reading a book. That's the level of genius this man was. Incredible. Well, speaking of wow. really amazing men in the church, coming up on the second half of the show, I have an interview with Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler. Now, for those of you that really pay attention to um, what's going on like in social media and so forth, he's, he's on Twitter and really is is just a very bold and beautiful bishop that uh, was such a pleasure for me to get to speak to him. It was pre-recorded due to his schedule, but I want to say that he is one of the most courageous leaders in the church, and he's also known for his outspoken support of unborn life, the Orthodox faith and morals, and reforming Catholic institutions. And so we're going to talk about the book he just released. It's called Light and Leaven. And he offers a forthright perspective on the state of the church today and calls on the lay faithful to meet its challenges boldly, touching on topics such as parish renewal, which is about the domestic church, the state of Catholic education, the centrality of the Eucharist. We spend quite a bit of time on that, the need for prayer and silence in a noisy and distracted age in the battle between good and evil. Yeah, and it was our, our friends at Catholic Answers who reached out to us and invited us to, yes. to have this interview with, with Bishop Strickland because he's publishing his new book with, with them. Well, stay tuned because there is a section in here when he talks about ho- celebrating the Holy Mass that as I was sitting here listening, literally was moved so deeply with joy and tears of um, just appreciation for this man's love of Jesus and the Eucharist. He has some really wonderful insights to share with us as a Catholic people. And I hope that you'll be inspired and encouraged and full of hope because that's, that's what I took away from the, the interview. So stay tuned for Bishop Strickland. Well, 
Welcome back. This is Red Sea Radio, KEDC 88.5 in the Brazos Valley in KYAR 98.3 Central Texas and KINF 107.9 in Palestine. We thank our listeners for joining. Well, joining to me, I'm very excited and thrilled to have Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas. And he has written a book in Light and Leaven. It's Light and Leaven, correct? Correct. Well, tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write this book in the first place. Well, I was ca- contacted by Catholic Answers, and they we talked about the concept a bit, and I, I certainly agree that um, you know the, all the baptized. I guess that's the emphasis of the book is that all of us who are baptized have the the joyful responsibility of of living the way of Jesus Christ. Certainly, bishops, priests, deacons, all the ordained and religious, we have, it's our vocation, it's our way of life, but really it's it's for all the baptized. And so this book, Light and Leaven, is about encouraging people to really step up and, and live the gospel as men and women, mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, just wherever they find themselves in life. That sounds awesome. And it, I believe it's not quite been released. And can you tell us more about when it comes out and how we'd be able to purchase the book? Um, I think you can go to uh, just go to Catholic Answers. I know that I've been putting various uh, promos out, you might say. It's supposed to actually come out at the end of October, from what I understand, by October 31st. So you're correct that it's not quite out yet, but I know they've had some pre-orders, and it will officially be available um, October 31st. That's wonderful. Well, as I'm looking at some of the topics that you approach in the book, uh, the first one on the on the list is the parish renewal. Can you just give us a snippet of, of what that means to you? Maybe like how you want a parish to look, right? Like what does the end product of a renewed parish look like? Well, um, and it's Pam, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Um, Really, Pam, um, I guess what I try to emphasize, and it continues to to deepen and develop for me, but parish life really depends on the domestic churches that are part of that parish. So I think that what I try to emphasize really in the book and, and since then and, and some of my conversations and writing is to really look at how do we support the domestic church, that family unit. Um, I had a, heard a talk yesterday. We had the um, Texas Catholic Conference meeting in Austin and Helen Alvare uh, spoke. She used to work at the USCCB and she, it's a great uh, presentation that she gave about the significance of the family. And I think she really hit the nail on the head. And so really with the topic of renewal of parishes, I think we need to go to sort of the next level down and strengthen the family, strengthen the, the domestic church, so that I think the tendency in so many aspects of society these days is to kind of go from the top down and we kind of look up and say, okay, what? tell us what to do. And I think 
instead, if we really look at the call of the gospel um, and living Jesus Christ, it flows for each of us from our baptism. And we have to seriously take seriously living as the baptized. And then in a marriage, uh, for us, marriage is a man and a woman committed for life, open to children. And so uh, a young couple that is just married, maybe doesn't have children yet, or a couple that for whatever reasons never has children. There are wonderful Catholic families that are childless couples, but they do a great job of of living out their marriage as a domestic church, just the man and the woman, the husband and the wife. So I really think the renewal of parishes is about really strengthening those domestic churches. And I have to confess, I've been a priest 35 years, and I don't think we've done an adequate job of giving parents or married couples the tools to really make the domestic church what it should be. When, when a, a family baptizes a child, they are given the charge to raise that child in the faith. And the church teaches that the parents are the primary educators of their children. But I think we just have to, as a church, as bishops, as priests, as an institution, we have to acknowledge that we've got to do a lot better job of giving those families, those domestic churches, the tools that they need in order to really make being Catholic and living the Catholic faith not just something you do on Sunday. And I mean, that's great if they come every Sunday, and many families don't even do that, but to, but to realize it's a way of life. And I think really strengthening the domestic church and helping children and parents understand that living Jesus Christ is about what entertainment they choose, what they study, how they interact with each other, how they help their neighbor, all of the things about a family living as a domestic church. So I think that's the best way to renew the parishes is to renew those smaller units of the domestic church, the family home. And certainly families, even though we do in Catholic teaching, we do have some parameters that uh, society doesn't uh, agree with at this point. But we believe a family is composed of that model of a man and a woman committed in marriage, uh, becoming a mother and father, if that is God's will, and nurturing whoever lives in that household in the way of Jesus Christ. So making that basic unit, certainly a single person, a widow or a person who's never married, man or woman, is certainly a domestic church as well. And I know sometimes unmarried people, when we talk so much about the family, feel kind of left out. But that is not the intention of, of Christ and his church. A single person can be a beautiful domestic church involved in the community and sharing their gifts professionally and in ministries that they're involved in as they connect to the parish. So the parish certainly can be a support to that domestic church. But I think the tendency is to look to the parish to do everything and to sort of, you know, Father, parish, make us Catholic. And I think we've got to look at it really from the reverse. A Catholic household comes to the parish for support, but they're already a strong Catholic household. 
Your Excellency, this is uh, Thaddeus Romanski, the, the general manager I spoke to when we before we got on the air. Uh, I have a question coming off of your point about the domestic church and, and young people. Um, I think that they maybe have a tendency to feel that way, young single people, because they are ingesting sort of the unspoken assumption of the culture that now that they've reached their majority, they're an island unto themselves. They are individuals unto themselves, and the church doesn't doesn't look at it quite that way. They're still members of that of that family that they that they came from. They're they're adult members of that family. They're still um, they still have a contribution to make and a role in their their birth family. Um, how do we? I, I think that's kind of a crux of what the domestic church needs to do today is to break down some of those unspoken assumptions like that and really uh, fill children and fill ourselves with the truth of about the human person and about the family and about its role in what society should be from Catholic truth. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I very much agree. Um, uh, there's a word that I have used more and more that doesn't sound very evangelical or catechetical, but I think as we kind of unpack it, it really is a very important word, and that word is subsidiarity. Mm -hmm. And in terms of living as disciples of Jesus Christ, what subsidiarity means is that each of us individually, in a sense, every person is a, a little church, a little presence of God in the world. And I think we need to, to really help, especially young people, but even people my age or in between, you know, the, all the different generations. The church has just not done a very good job in my lifetime of really helping people understand that we are all walking around doing whatever we're doing. We are beloved of God, and we are called to, to live discipleship whether it, we're in a car in traffic or we're, we're shopping in a grocery store or we're in a school or we're at home, wherever we are, we should be living as disciples. And, and I think that's the, the best answer I have for that young person who kind of feels disconnected. And, you know, I think, frankly, a lot of times they want to feel disconnected um, we've had young people that went to our Catholic high school, and sadly, if, they, if they're really frank with me as bishop or before when I was rector of the cathedral, if they were honest with me, they would acknowledge that they were looking forward to going off to college and not bothering with church. Um, you know, a lot of the young people, sadly, even that went to our Catholic high school, said they, they felt like, oh, finally I'm going to get away from this being forced to go to Mass and being forced to pray and all of this. And I think that, it, to me, it just illustrates that we've got a lot more work to do to help people really develop that relationship with Jesus um, here in Tyler and really throughout the Diocese of Tyler, these 33 counties. It's a predominantly evangelical Protestant area. Yes. And a lot of times people will talk about, you know, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think Pope Francis has really beautifully 
reminded us as Catholics that absolutely it's about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But it goes beyond merely saying, yes, I have a relationship. But then, as he tells us, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so, you know, really living as part of the Christian family, whether as an individual young person or as a newly married young couple or as a couple with six kids or as a retired couple whose kids have all moved out of the house, it really brings a lot of challenges to live the call of discipleship wherever we find ourselves in what I like to call the seasons of life mm-hmm. from conception to natural death. And to and I think we've we've just got to do a lot better job. I, I'm the first to admit that I need to do a better job of really uh, transmitting to every person that call of discipleship and that call of relationship with Jesus Christ. I think there's a tendency for all of us to kind of rely on others. It's like, well, somebody else will pray for me, or and certainly we need to pray for each other. But I think we've um, got to take living as disciples very personally and recognize that this is my own personal decision. Um, yes. And that there's a lot of work to do in our society because of all the turmoil that we see. But like I mentioned, the, the talk by Helen Alvaro, um, she basically pointed to family. And I think that, that I've had the same thought, that if you look at the violence or the turmoil or the, the disenfranchisement that people feel, in our society today, I think very often you can scratch the surface and find out that they didn't have a solid family to to work from. So true. And they so didn't true. Feel that community right. in the family atmosphere, and when that's missing, it makes it all the much harder. Whether as an individual or as a new family that's trying to be created, it's harder if we don't if we haven't learned it as two-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, eight-year-olds growing up, if we didn't have, I mean, no family's perfect. My family certainly wasn't perfect, but I was blessed with a a mother and father that remained committed in the marriage, brothers and sisters, that we had our problems and even tragedies at times, but we were there together. And I think a lot of people simply don't have that. And rather than pointing to as Helen Alvaro said, uh, rather than pointing to racism or some other ism or division in, in the community, I think we need to acknowledge that very often it's a breakdown of family that leaves people feeling Indeed. isolated, feeling alienated, fe- feeling threatened in, in today's world. Well, Bishop, I'm glad you brought all that up because part of what's um, on in your book is about the centrality of the Eucharist. And I'm a mom of five kids from 28 to 15. And so I've kind of seen as my faith has grown, the centrality of the Eucharist has become ever more important because I'm a convert to the faith. And so understanding the true presence is something that you really have to dig in more and more as all Catholics do. But it is relationship. You know, the Eucharist does have a face. It's a face of Christ. And so when we do develop those, that relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist, I think, you know, those other things start to spring. And then how do we pass that on? But if you wouldn't mind kind of touching on uh, 
what you've talked about in the book about the centrality of the Eucharist and how vital it is to that relationship aspect, because all relationships will spring from your relationship with Christ. So how do we as parents and young people start to teach children this relationship with Eucharist, Jesus in the Eucharist? Well, Pam, that you've touched on probably, I would have to say, in my almost eight years as bishop, that theme has just grown and grown in my own personal journey and in what I feel called to do as bishop. Um, we've all read the the very disheartening statistics that a, a huge percentage of Catholics aren't even sure about the Eucharist yes, or clearly don't believe that it really is the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. And and really, Pam, I'm so glad that you bring that up. I mean, that's the reason I talk about it in the book. And I talk about the Eucharist a lot here in the Diocese of Tyler. We're in the coming to the end of what I declared as the year of the Eucharist. I have to say it's been a very challenging year of the Eucharist because 2020 has been challenging for all of us in, in mind-boggling ways. But um, I'm grateful for my own personal journey of, for that focus on the Eucharist. I, I can say very honestly that that has been my strength through questions that I've never dreamt of having to answer and issues to face that all of us are facing with the the virus and all the repercussions, um, being anchored in Jesus really there. As as I love I love what you said that the Eucharist has a face and that idea of Christ's Eucharistic face is something that I think we need to help even the youngest children to really talk about and understand. I mean it's it's a concept that maybe children can grasp better than all of us who think we've gotten more sophisticated and smarter uh, because it's a mystery. How is the Lord of the universe contained there in consecrated bread and wine? But that's our faith. That is the age-old faith of the Catholic Church. That is one of the, as the Second Vatican Council says, as far as the Eucharistic liturgy, it's the source and the summit because it's him it is the real presence of God's divine Son. And in, as you said, Pam, I would encourage anyone listening, if, if you have a basic Eucharistic faith, deepen it. Focus yes. more. Look, look for things to read. Um, there's some great books by Scott Hahn. Uh, Dr. Brant Petrie has some great books on Scripture, on the Eucharist. Find something that nurtures your understanding that the Son of God is there on that altar, the simplest altar or the most gorgeous marble altar in a magnificent cathedral, wherever the Catholic Mass is celebrated, Jesus Christ, real presence is there. And Pam, I can, uh, you can maybe imagine in my own journey as a priest for 35 years and now as a bishop, um, as my own Eucharistic faith grows, it's it's really with fear and trembling uh, that I approach the altar, and I pray constantly that I can bring the reverence and the focus and the awe that I should feel as a, a sinful yes. man ordained by the church, ordained and given the grace of the Holy Spirit to stand in an altar and say those words of Jesus himself and beholding one moment 
uh, a simple piece of flat bread and simple wine that becomes his body and blood, soul and divinity. I've got to really focus on that. And I think we're in a time of many people recognizing that we need, because he's really there, the Son of God who we hear about in the Gospels, who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, who ascended to the Father, the full Jesus Christ is present there in the mystery of the Eucharist. We've got to just keep refocusing on that tremendous mystery that is hard to understand because he's there and his strength is with us. And that has been a, a tremendous strength for me as a bishop. And me as well. I have a really sweet story from one of my children when they received their first communion. She, she we'd gone through the prep and we'd really talked about it. This was my number four child. So I was a little better formed at this point as well. And we talked about it being Jesus in the Eucharist. And, you know, she says, Mom, this is really hard for me to believe. And I said, you know what, honey, it is a hard thing. That's part of our, uh, the faith that comes in. But Jesus delights in your desire of wanting to understand that he's really there. So, you know, our listeners who maybe struggle with that truth, that if you just ask God to grow that desire of understanding in your heart, he will delight in that and be that kind of a a springboard for getting deeper into the understanding of Christ in the Eucharist. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I, I really am convinced that a deeper understanding of the Eucharist and a deeper focus on the Eucharist, a deeper reverence at our liturgies, and recognizing that the Mass is all about what happens at that altar um, and, you know, the bread and wine being transformed. Certainly the Word of God is significant. It, it is Jesus present. He is the incarnate Word. And I think we have to ourselves deepen that faith and help children and young people especially because, you know, I, I'm sure we've both heard, and with, with your own children, I can imagine you've heard what I've heard so many times. The Mass is boring. Um, and I think we're, we're in a culture uh, that demands entertainment so much, and things have yes. to be engaging and flashy, that I think we need to really not make the Mass entertaining, which, frankly, I grew up with. I think we did try to do that. It's not what the Mass is meant to be. It's not meant to compete with the, the movie house or the sports stadium. It's meant to be a different experience. And I think there are a lot of young people, even as many are walking away, I think a lot of young people are, are hungry for that different experience. Something The Mass should be different than anything else you do during that day if you're able to go on a daily basis and certainly during the week if you go on Sundays, and that's what it's limited to. But I think that we have to recognize that it's an entering into supernatural life. It's touching heaven. And frankly, as a priest that was formed in the late 70s and and mid-80s, ordained in 1985, um, that was just not emphasized enough. And in today's world, we need to help people understand we hunger for the supernatural. As St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And I think in many ways we can frame what we're seeing with COVID and all the commotion and all the violence and all the bitterness that people are dealing with. The humanity has an extremely restless heart. 
And sometimes that restlessness even turns to violence and and harm for each other. Um, And I really believe that the answer is turning closer to God uh, as a nation and as a world and even as a church. Um, I think sometimes the church has become more of of an institution that is is rooted in the world than than a, a family and a community that calls us to God. And that's what the purpose of the church is, is to help us nurture that supernatural faith that the world really fights against in so many ways. So I really don't blame young people for where they find themselves. That's, yes. They're following, in a sense, the gospel of the world, which, honestly, if you go to the word gospel, it means good news. And what the world offers really isn't good news, but that's the message that's the, the testament that young people are saturated in is what the world has to offer. And I think we've got to joyfully but clearly, um, that's what I try to do with my tweets. Uh, you know, I, I always laugh when I talk about tweeting All because right, I'm great. old Thanks, enough Thank you. to know, to remember Tweety Bird and Sylvester. Yes. I, think <laughs> I always think when I talk about tweeting, I think about this silly little yellow bird. But I use tweeting because... It's a it's a social media that is challenging and it can get ugly, but I try my best. Sometimes I overstep and, and say things that are confusing or whatever, but I do my best to just keep putting truth and joy and light out into the airwaves or to the social media world. And, and hopefully, I mean, people, a lot of people reject it. And they, a lot of people rejected Christ. But I think we have to keep sharing the good news. And I think that's one thing that I try to emphasize. It is good news. That's what gospel means. And I think sometimes with the challenges that we as older Catholics face, it can be just full of challenges. And, oh, why are we losing young people? And what's, what's wrong? And what are we doing wrong? I think all of us need to remind ourselves what Jesus has brought us is the best good news that humanity has ever known. And we need to unlock that for everyone, for the elderly, for youth, for children, for uh, middle-aged couples, for everyone. We need that good news because especially in 2020, I, really, Pam, I have to say, um, I've said to many people and many people have said to me, I don't know how people are navigating this. It's hard enough with faith and with all the questions that we have. But if for people that have no faith, and too many are in that category, um, I don't know how they're they're coping. And sadly, too many aren't, or at least they're not coping in healthy ways, because with the world falling apart around us, where do we turn? In my belief, as always, we turn to Christ. Yes, and one of the big distractions of this year has been the divisiveness. It's so divisive, um, just right down to community levels, which has been, you know, kind of hurts my heart that I can see these differences of opinion. But it, it says that you really go ahead and talk about the distraction of the age, but the battle between the good and evil, um, both in the church and the world. So, I, yeah, I've been saying there is a a spiritual battle going on mightily right now and trying me personally trying to capture that joy, capture that hope and live my faith has found to be challenging. But uh, I'm guessing you have some insights in this area. 
<laughs> well, I, I certainly understand the the darkness that we're facing, but like I said, I mean, one thing that I focus on in this country with the election coming up and all that we're facing, um, what I've encouraged people to do is to remember what we say in the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God. And we we really need to live that and make that real much more. I mean, there are many issues about the sanctity of life and the sanctity of the family and the meaning of marriage and the meaning of who we are created by God, male and female. There aren't other options uh, according to God. And I think we've got to, to joyfully but clearly embrace that message to recognize I'm not God, you're not God, and we bow to a creator. Um, I think there's a, a real tone in the world today, and I think that's one thing that has been disruptive, but hopefully the disruption can be channeled in positive ways. But I think COVID-19 has reminded us we're not as in charge as we thought. Yes. Um, sadly, that's brought a lot of chaos and a lot of violence and a lot of bitterness and anger, but I'm hopeful and, and I pray that recognizing that we're really not in charge, then who is? And and I pray that more people, and I think pe more people are people of faith, I think are turning more to their faith, and hopefully people that really had no faith are maybe beginning to wake up. But um, COVID-19, I mean, if we look at our calendars Mine says canceled all over the place. What we thought and what we had planned, even as a bishop of the church, the everything that we had on the calendar and planned to do this and planned to do that, the vast majority of it has been canceled. And I was just at a meeting this morning, and we were talking about the frustrations that schools and parishes and just people in the world are feeling because you know, it's like, okay, we're done. We're ready for this virus to be over and things to go back to normal. And, you know, all the wishing in the world and all the anger and all the demanding that we want to go back to, to what it was, that's not happening because st things are still complex. The virus is still real. Uh, it's confusing and it's frustrating because you get this message and then that message and then something halfway in between the next day and it people are confused, people are frustrated, but that is the reality that we're in. Um, where do you find hope and joy in Jesus Christ and recognizing that God is timeless um, in a lot of my reading recently? You know, there are all kinds of predictions of what will happen and what will happen next and everything. We have to recognize that if you look at Scripture, if you look at even the history of the church, which for 2,000 years, um, you recognize, as Scripture says very clearly, God's ways are not our ways. God's time is not our time. For God, what is a thousand days for us is but a moment for God and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And and so having that supernatural perspective, I think that's what gives me light and hope and joy to to keep going through all the confusion and the darkness and trying to call people back to those those fundamental values that we're founded on as a nation, as a church, 
and as a civilization throughout the world. And um, I think a lot of people are are challenging a lot of those basic truths that we have to return to and recognize the world is is really a gift from God, and we need to to be conscious of that and treat it as a gift, treat it with humility rather than than the arrogance that has been very dominant in the past several years. Right. One of the main themes that I'm kind of seeing is that just overall general frustration of this year being so dramatically different, even those of us that, that really are reaching out to, to Christ and trying to grow closer to Him um, through the Eucharist, through confession, the sacraments, though, is there's this new level of suffering that I don't think we've really kind of seen before, and, it, uh, and many times it's it's emotional. And most a lot of it's emotional, but there's a physical suffering when when you get the the virus. I'm happy to say I'm a survivor. Thank you. <laughs> but can you talk to us a little bit about like how the world views suffering versus how the church views suffering? Because I, I believe if we started to really assimilate better what the church teaches us about the the grace behind suffering that we can turn it to that hope and joy that you're talking about well absolutely um it's the kerygma it's the message of jesus christ uh he's the suffering servant and i think what's ironic about what we're going through with covid is it's it's sort of being rubbed in our faces uh suffering that we can't eliminate we can't control we can't just use technology and get rid of it. It's it's suffering that is is beyond our control. And I think you're absolutely right, Pam, that the Catholic Church in her treasure chest of the deposit of faith has a beautiful tradition of what suffering means. Um, Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, God's own Son, the second person of the Trinity, He suffered. And that is yeah, I mean, that's mind-bending if you really stop and think mm-hmm. about it. Yes. The Lord of all suffered? How How's that possible? Well, that's the tremendous love that Christ has for humanity and that God the Father, as John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten Son. And what that really opens the door to is God gave us his Son to suffer. Um, and certainly not just to suffer, but suffering, if you take the cross out of the, the message of Jesus Christ, then it doesn't make any—it falls it apart. Doesn't, it doesn't right. make any sense. It, it, the cross is woven into who Jesus Christ is and what his resurrection means. His resurrection is so wondrous and powerful because he suffered and died. He truly was dead and laid in a tomb. His heart stopped. He quit breathing. He was a corpse in the tomb. And that, you know, I I think that that's what, you know, the virus has reminded us that we're all going to die. Um, Thankfully, you've you've had COVID-19. You're a survivor. I guess they're producing T-shirts now that say, (laughs) I survived COVID. Thankfully, knock on wood, I haven't had it. I I just as soon not, but you know, I, I'm trying to take the necessary precautions, but also live my life. And if I become positive with COVID, hopefully I'll survive it also. But 
even if I don't, if I got COVID and died, I think part of fam, what we need to really wake the church up to and the world is death is not the ultimate suffering. Um, if you have supernatural faith, then the ultimate suffering is damnation and being separated from God for all eternity. And I think that, you know, for for my lifetime, that's been downplayed a lot. And I think that we've suffered, not to, you know, be a pun, but we have suffered because of the downplaying of the reality that there is worse suffering than death. Yes. Certainly, life is sacred. But why life is sacred is because of God's wondrous plan for each of us to share life eternal. That's why Jesus came, suffered, died, and rose for us, is that so that that eternal life could be opened up to us again. We were talking a moment ago about God's time is not our time. And, you know, I'm, I'm soon to be 62 years old. You know, that's not young, that's not terribly old in our culture, but it's a blink in the eye. Yes. Uh, it's it's a moment compared to eternity with God. And and I think we need to really encourage people to have that perspective much more, to to recognize, as we all know, and we all learn as we get a little older, I mean, as teenagers and even probably 20-somethings, People think they're indestructible. Life goes on forever. There's just that kind of mental attitude. But once you get to be older, I mean, I'd have to say, I don't want to go on forever. I mean, you know, it, each day brings a, a, aches and pains and your body's not working quite as well as it did when you were 22 years old. And so I don't want to live forever in this world. I want to do my best to live well and live faithfully whatever time God gives me. But I think that perspective of supernatural life, of mm -hmm. faith, is something that is just not in the culture. If you look at, you know, just turn on the television for a while, and the commercials are about aging creams and keeping <laughs> your aging from happening here, mm -hmm. and, and all the things about your body um, that certainly is sacred because it's a vessel of the Holy Spirit. It it's a vessel of God's own life. And so we every person is sacred, and that's something we need to emphasize. But we are sacred because we're built for something so much more than 60, 70, 80, 100 years in this world. That's right. And that perspective is just not something that anyone lives with in right. as strong a way as we should. Right. We're just pilgrims on, a pilgrims on a journey. Right. I'm sorry yeah, to interrupt you, absolutely. but uh, <laughs> I'm thanking you so much for um, reminding us that we are one nation under God and that God's ways are not our ways to draw closer to Jesus in the Eucharist. That relationship is the most important one we have and where we can find respite. And And so I thank you so much, Bishop Strickland, for coming on today. And I'm going to ask you for your blessing, please. Gladly. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing for Pam and for all at the radio station, for all who are listening, for all that they will communicate with and maybe share something of what they've heard. Help us to rejoice in the good news of Jesus Christ, the joyful message of his suffering for us, that we might know that death is an end, but not the final end, and that we are called to everlasting life. 
that all who are listening may be joyfully uplifted in faith, deepening their supernatural understanding of the wondrous gift of life and who they are called to be as disciples of Jesus Christ. And we ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. And just to remind our listeners that uh, the Bishop Strickland's book will be out at the end of the month. You may purchase it over at the Catholic Answers website, and it's Light and Leaven. And just a great perspective on what's going on in the world and encouraging us throughout our journey. So thank you so much for joining us today.